Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. I'm pretty sure you guys like watching movies. And I'm pretty sure you guys like watching movies, action movies, where the good guy and the bad guy kind of fighting throughout the entire movie. And just right when the bad guy seems to be defeated at the end, he has a hostage. And it's usually the daughter or son of the good guy he's been fighting. You're like, okay, the movie's going to end right now. And all of a sudden, you're like, why? A hostage. So what is usually the plan of action in these hostage scenes? Father, obviously, sees his son or daughter at the hands of the bad guy. So he does what? We'll exchange my life for my daughter's life. And as the father is walking towards the bad guy, he looks at the daughter and kind of tells her, kind of winks at her, says, everything's going to be okay. So the daughter, she's distraught. She's like, my dad's going to die. So two options. Either I believe in what my dad just told me, that everything's going to be okay, and I'm just going to trust in his words, or I'm just going to cry my lungs out because my dad just going to die right now in this village. Usually the father survives. And what was thought of a sure death was part of a bigger plan that the daughter didn't know, the father did. And I say usually because unless it's like a Disney movie, because then those are dark, you know. Those, those cartoon movies, they just everyone dies. There's no father or mother. I don't know. All right, anyways. So the father had a plan, and he knew he would outsmart the bad guy. He knew he would survive. See, in our lesson today, some of the disciples... They worried about Jesus when he was being arrested. And some even pointed and used violence to try to protect him. Jesus told them many times, I will die, but I will also be raised on the third day. And instead of trusting what Jesus said, instead of trusting the plan, the eternal plan, they took action into their own hands. And we see once more the Savior telling them, Trust in God's plan. It was predetermined before the beginning of time. And everything is going to be okay. Because God is in control. Let's read Matthew 26, verse 47 through 56. The word of God says, while he was still speaking, this is Jesus. Behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he who was betraying him gave them a sign, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. Immediately Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus, reached out and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father 
and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will Scripture be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Where are we? We are in Thursday of the Passover week. So far, we've learned a couple of events that happened on Thursday of the Passover week. The first event is we looked at the preparations for the last Passover and the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples saying, one of you will betray me. Then we see the Lord's Supper instituted, something that we still follow today as a sacrament of the church. Last Wednesday, we talked about the Garden of Gethsemane. We entered those holy grounds, and we saw that Christ was strengthened through prayer for what was to come, and he, how he highly revered Today we will specifically today we will be looking specifically at Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Most specifically, we will look at three scenes. Three scenes of Jesus' arrest. The main idea that I want you to have in the back of your mind, the front of your mind, everywhere as we study this lesson is very simple. And it's kind of similar to what we've been talking about. Believers should praise God for his redemptive plan and fully trust in his sovereignty. Believers should praise God for his redemptive plan and fully trust in his sovereignty. Let's start today's lesson with scene number one, the betrayal. Scene number one, the betrayal. Verse 47 states, while he was still speaking, behold, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a large crowd with swords and clubs, who came from the chief priests and elders of the people. While he was still speaking, what was he speaking? What was he telling his disciples? Let's go a little verses back. Matthew 26, verses 45 and 46. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. So while he's saying this to his disciples, Judas is coming in with this crowd. Notice that Matthew mentions the name Judas, as in Judas Iscariot, as in one of his disciples. Not just anybody was going to betray Jesus, one of his disciples was to betray him, one of his closest friends. And who does Judas come with? Well, the Bible tells us a large crowd. How big is this crowd? Well, we know that we have officers from the chief priests and the elders, and we know that John tells us that there's also a Roman cohort that comes. John 18, verse 3 says, Judas then having received a Roman cohort, and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees came with ladders and torches and weapons. According to some articles that I read online, a Roman cohort averaged from 300 to 600. So some even said 1,000. So let's just say 
600 Roman soldiers plus the officers of the high priests and the elders would do. Now, this, did this large crowd come to celebrate the Passover with Jesus? Did they come to hear his teaching and be healed like many times large crowds would gather around Jesus? Is this the moment that's going to happen? No. No, they didn't. Why? They came with swords and clubs. Okay? They came with swords and clubs. The question is, why? Why did they come? Well, do you remember when we talked about a couple of weeks ago where Judas makes a deal with the chief priests and the elders? 30 silver coins, and I will, I, will, I will look for an opportune time. This is that time. It's late at night. It's in Gethsemane outside the city. Not a lot of people around to prevent the riot that they said. If we do this in public, then everyone watching, a riot might occur. So this is the time that they're doing it. MacArthur states, because they had to have Roman permission to exercise the death penalty, the Jewish leaders had requested Roman soldiers to join in the arrest. The soldiers probably were also included because on a previous occasion, when the temple police were sent to arrest Jesus, they came back empty-handed. You see this in John chapter 7, verses 45 through 47. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees and said to them, Why did you not bring him, meaning Jesus? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered them, You have not also been laid astray, have you? They were wanting to arrest Jesus. They wanted to make sure that Jesus would be arrested. They would ask, and you know the Sanhedrin was very friendly with the Romans. They would ask the Romans to send their soldiers for this arrest. Now, let's look at the disciples. What are they seeing? They're seeing Passover meal. They celebrated with Christ. They went to Gethsemane. He's praying. We're sleeping. All of a sudden, we hear the noise. It's a big noise, guys. 600 people is no joke. They start, they get up. They, they start seeing Jesus with Peter, James, and John. Then they, they all get together. And they're like, what's going on? Jesus is saying, get up. The time is near. The time is at hand. The Son of Man will be betrayed. All of this is going on. But then they see Judas. Okay. He's one of us. All right. It's not going to be that bad. It's not going to be that bad. But what does Jesus, what does Judas do? Verse 48, he tells those that are with him, the crowd. Now he who was betraying him, meaning Judas, gave them, the crowd, a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him. D.A. Carson states that kissing on the cheek was a common form of greeting of a bond between the teacher and his rabbi. Side note, if you want to kiss your small group leader as a form of saying hi, they're happy to do so. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. We are in 2023, okay? Now, why would he want to single out Jesus particularly? Why would he go out of his way and tell him, make sure you arrest the correct man? Why? Well, did he want to care for his friend? Did he want to, was he looking out for his other disciple friends? Pretty, no, not really. He wanted to make sure he would get his 30 pieces of silver. 
right? And guess what? A commentator writes, it's dark, so you really can't see well. And also, a lot of you don't realize that social media was never part of society forever. Printed media was came into the, like, what, the Gutenberg press in the 1500s. A lot of people heard of Jesus, but many of them didn't know what he looked like. So you could assume Jesus' popularity, oh, everyone knows Jesus. How could they not? Well, back in the day, it wasn't like that. You knew Jesus because you were at one of his sermons. You saw him directly. It's not like they have newspapers where they can see Christ goes against the Pharisees. Christ silences the Pharisees once more. And you see, none of these headlines are there for them to see. So that's why Judas gives them suspicion specifically saying, the man who I kiss is the one who you will see. So what does Judas do after he gives the officers the signal? Verse 49. Immediately, Judas went to Jesus and said, Hail, Rabbi, and kissed him. Judas does not waste any time. He goes directly to Jesus and says, Hail, Rabbi. Hail, the Greek for hail is to greet with a wish of health and happiness, whether sincere or as a formula. Let's pretty much... It wasn't sincere. We know that. It was more of a formula, more of a, I just got to say it. Rabbi means teacher. And by the way, the kissing to a rabbi had to be done if the rabbi first had kissed you at one point. It's not like you can just go to your rabbi and say, hey, how are you? It, it was a very respected relationship. But the fact that, Jesus, that Judas does do this tells you a lot of Christ, about who He is. See, our Savior, knowing that Judas would betray Him, so He's calling His 12 disciples, and He's calling Judas as well. He knew He would betray Him. Yet He treated Him like any other disciple. He didn't reject them. He loved on them. He even kissed Him on the cheek as one of His own. That That is who Christ is. Loving, compassionate, does not hold grudges. Ask yourself the question, how evil must your heart be to betray someone like Judas did? It's pretty evil. And we know that Judas, he's probably, out of the levels of hell, he's pretty in the, probably the worst part ever to betraying the Son of Man. Think about it. What would it take for you to betray your family, your blood, for money? It's it's a pretty dire feeling to be betrayed by someone that you love. But remember, before we go off and start judging Judas, how dare he? Oh, that guy. Let's examine our own hearts and see where we betray Jesus daily sometimes. What about not preaching the gospel out of fear? Fear of losing friends, fear of losing family members because they're of a different religion, fear of being fired from your job, fear of being rejected, fear of being made fun of. 
every time we do that, we betray the news that Christ is the Son of God. The great news that we should share. What about not obeying and loving His commandments? Think about it. That's a form of betrayal. How so, Alejandro? Well, when your parents have told you to do something, and you deliberately don't obey, and you are caught red-handed in the act of disobedience after your parents told you not to do something, and they catch you doing it, how do you feel? Hopefully embarrassed. You kind of can't look at them in the eye because you betrayed their trust. They told you to do something, and you didn't do it. They gave you a command, and you didn't do it. Same thing happens when you disobey God's commandments. When we disobey God's commandments, we betray Him. Thankfully, the Creator of the universe does not hold grudges, and His mercies are new each day. Our job is not to abuse of God's grace. You know, Paul says, may this never be, but instead is to honor Him with our actions. If you are a believer in Christ, I encourage you to pray to the Lord, to give you strength, to not betray the sovereign God of the universe daily. Philippians 2, chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We can pray to God to give us the will and the strength to not betray Him. To give us the strength to be bold and courageous to, be, to preach the gospel. To give us the grace to be obedient to the humility and the, to, to obey our parents when they tell us to do something. We can pray. If you are a believer in Christ, you can pray that to the Father. And you can be strengthened in Him. Because we are not slaves to sin. The old man, has, the old life has passed. Behold, the new has come if you are So what did Jesus do when Judas kissed him? Verse 50. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you have come for. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Jesus knew what was about to happen. And in a non-violent way, he gave himself up. He says, Friend, do what you have come for. The Greek word for friend here is not the one that's used for the kind of friendships that we have. It's more of like a fellow, comrade, companion. He looks at his betrayer in the eye and without hate or cursing at him, tells him, Comadre, companion, do what you have come for. So the officials of the crowd came, laid hands on him, and seized him. See, instead of running away from the problem, what did Jesus do? Jesus embraces the problem. He embraces what is before him. Guys, this does not catch our Savior by surprise. It did not catch God the Father by surprise. He was expecting it. He was expecting that he was ready to drink the cup of wrath that was coming coming upon him. Let me ask you a question. How many times when things get difficult in our lives do we pray for the circumstance to go away? 
And we, and we learned last time, it's normal to pray that, to want that difficult circumstances to go away. But right after that prayer of wanting the difficult circumstances to go away, it should be followed, but let, not let my will be done, but yours. See, God is in control. And he knows exactly the time that you will need to be living through that trial. Some people's trials are a day, a week, a month, years, lifetimes. Yet God is still in control. God is still seated on his throne. Jesus did not run away and he did not pray away. He embraced his father's will. Imagine how easier life would be if we would just trust in God and his character. If we literally trust God in every aspect of our lives, when things even get a little shaky, you immediately remind, revert and renew your mind with the truth of Scripture. Why do you think Scripture is there for us? Because it's a constant battle that we have to constantly be renewing our mind with what Scripture says about God, about His sovereignty, about His love, about His holiness, about His perfection. And when you do this, that peace that the world doesn't understand how somebody can have peace during these difficult times, that peace will come because He has promised it because you trust in the Creator. No matter what, the, di- the most dire situation you're going through right now, know that God is in control. And guess what? If He wanted to change the circumstance, He can do it right now with a snap of a finger. He could. He's powerful enough to do so because He's God. But if it hasn't changed, guess what? It's not His will yet. It's not His will yet. I've always told you this. Why did it take the Israelites to be 70 years captive under the Babylonians? Why couldn't it be 60? You think by 60 years, eh, 60 years is a lot of time. There's a cousin Christ there, God. Why not 69? Why not 68? Why 70? Because 70 was the time that the Lord Almighty who reigned ordained. And who are we to come and tell him how he should do his job? Guys, they arrested the most innocent man in the world. They arrested the most innocent man in the world. The one who was perfect was arrested for committing no crime. Next time we think that life is not fair, and I'm talking about the people that say, oh, I've got an increase, it's not fair. Oh, my sibling gets to go to a play date and I don't, it's not fair. I'm talking about those moments. I'm pretty sure that there's moments in life which are still not fair. But regardless, regardless of what you think is not fair and what is actually not fair, Let's ponder on this moment and meditate on this truth. The perfect God-man, creator and sustainer of the universe, was arrested. If that doesn't cause you to praise and to see Jesus in a bigger light, I don't know what else does. Because he did that for humanity. He did that for you. He did that for me. So this concludes the betrayal scene of Jesus' arrest. Remember our theme, believers should praise God for his redemptive plan and fully trust in his sovereignty. Jesus' arrest was part of God's redemptive plan. So was the betrayal. And now we'll go into scene two, the resistance. The resistance. Verse 51. 
And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached out and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Disciple, John tells us it was Peter. John 18, verse 10. Simon Peter, then having a sword, drew it out and struck the high priest's slave and cut off his right ear. And the slave's name was Malchus. See, it seems strange that Peter would be so brave to do this in front of 600 Roman soldiers. But later would deny him three times. Luke's account mentions that it was just not Peter that was willing to fight. It was a lot of them were willing to fight. Luke 22, verse 49 says, When those who were around him saw that what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. So Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And touched his ear and healed him. See, Jesus condemns this behavior. He's like, Stop. Stop. And how do we know he condemns his behavior? Because he says it and also heals the slave officer that was going to come and arrest him. How does that even make sense? Let him bleed. You want to arrest the son of man? Yeah, bleed. No, that's not what Christ does. He's the ultimate example to follow. Now think about it this way. We can dissent, go against government when they have laws that go against the word of God. Yes, yes you can. But does it mean to take the form of fighting back, revolution, or do we follow Christ's example or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego example of peaceful? Giving yourself and saying, I'm not going to do this. I know I'm disobeying the law. You're going to arrest me. But even in that moment, we are called to be loving. We are called to be Christian. Why? Because in, even in that moment, you're still an ambassador of Christ. Even in that moment, could be a gospel opportunity for many watching, saying, how does this make sense? He is the Son of God. Gospel opportunities, even in situations like this. What does Jesus tell Peter? Peter and Matthew. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Hear me very clearly here. I don't want anybody going home and telling your parents, oh, Alejandro said this. I'm going to read it verbatimly so there's no confusion. Jesus basically says, trust in the Lord and in his plan. And when there is injustice, revenge is from the Lord and not us. Those who take up the sword will perish by the sword, meaning that revenge can ultimately lead a person to their own death if they take it into their own hands and not the government. In this case, it's the government is coming for him. Romans 12, 19 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And MacArthur states, Jesus was not speaking about self-defense, or the defense of a loved one or friends from an attacker. Nor was he talking about fighting in the armed forces for one's own country. He was referring to violently taking justice into one's own hand. Under no circumstance does a Christian or anyone else have the right to dispense personal justice, even to defend Christ's name or work. 
Any questions on what I just said? It's clear. Those that live by the sword, die by the sword, meaning let the government do what it's supposed to do. If in the event that you have to defend yourself, defend others, serve your country, and somebody dies, that's okay. But if it's revenge, if it's the government coming for you, it's different. It's a different approach. So why does he say this again? Why does he say this? And he says, or do you think in verse 53, or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Look at the contrast of Jesus. While he's in Gethsemane, he's sweating blood of the distress of being abandoned and forsaken by his father. Towards the end, he is strengthened by his father through prayer. And now look at how he's speaking boldly to the disciples and to the crowds. He was confident in the father's plan because he knew who the father was and the power he had to potentially change any circumstances, including this one. However, Jesus knew what needed to happen and made that clear to his disciples. He said, thank you for wanting to help, but all this is part of God's perfect will. Don't interfere. Again, let's look at our hearts. Can we say that we trust in God's character like Jesus did? Is this something that all of us can grow in? Yes. How? Prayer. Reading the Word. Learning about who God is. Because once you know who God is, it's, it's everything. You can trust in who God is because you know who God is through His Word. So what could He do? He could ask for a legion of angels. The Greek word here for legion is a division of a military force comparable in size to a Roman legion, around 6,000 foot soldiers, 700 cavalrymen. Do the math, it's about like 90,000. And he's making a statement here, because we know, if you read the Old Testament, you know that two angels destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. One angel destroyed a whole army in all the books of the Kings and the Chronicles. He's just making a statement like, I can make this stop if I wanted to. I have a whole legion of, uh, of angels to help me. But why doesn't Jesus ask the angels to come? He makes a wonderful statement that should cause all of us to praise him. For his plan of redemption, as I mentioned at the main of the other passage, believers should praise God for his redemptive plan and fully trust in his sovereignty. What does Jesus say in verse 54? How will the scriptures be fulfilled, which say that it must happen this way? He trusted in God's plan. He knew that this plan had to come to fruition. And he was going to obey his father to the end, no matter what it would take, even to his death, even to being abandoned by him, forsaken by him. Jesus had a mission, and he was going to accomplish it. Look how Jesus responds to John, in, 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 to Peter in John's account, John 18, verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, put the sword into the sheath. The cup which the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Jesus knew the Father's will was more important than any human emotion or temporal circumstance. God's plan for redemption was no accident. It was premeditated since the beginning of time. We see the beginning in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. 
he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. This was also prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Psalm 22, write it down. Isaiah 53, write it down. Daniel 9, write it down. All all prophecies about Christ, the suffering Messiah. See, Jesus knew that God the Father had a plan, and he wanted to obey even to his death. Even if he was going to be forsaken by his Father, which was, that's what he dreaded the most. Which this leads us to our final scene of Jesus' arrest, the explanation. The explanation, verse 55. At that time, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I used to sit in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. So he's turning from his disciples. Now he's talking to the crowds. And he's saying, You come like if I was a guilty robber. If I was such a bandit, why didn't you arrest me in broad daylight where everyone saw me while I was teaching in the temple? I love how Jesus puts that he's teaching, right? He emphasizes as if it's the merit for his arrest. All I did was teach. What else did I do? And you're here to arrest me as a robber? He's basically saying, you come in the night because you know what you're doing is wrong. And you don't want anybody else to see it. And he lets them know why. Verse 56. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Let's not overread this statement, guys. But all this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. The prophets that prophesied of me prophesied that you would be doing this to me right now. It takes us back to the main point of the lesson. Believers should praise God for his redemptive plan and fully trust in his sovereignty. Jesus stated this was no coincidence. This does not catch God the Father by surprise. This is not something that, oh, I'm I'm getting arrested today. Jesus knew it was the plan from the beginning of time for that moment at that specific time to be done. To begin the process of what Friday will be, which is the death of the God-man. So what did the disciples do? They left him and fled. See, there was no more doubt. This idea of a political savior, they expected Jesus to be was nowhere to be found. He, all, I, I bet you the disciples were like, okay, this is our last stand. We're all going to fight, and Jesus miraculously is going to defeat all of them, and, we're gonna, and Jesus will reign again as this political figure. And instead, Jesus tells them, put the sword away. He's going to be handed over. There was no hope, none whatsoever. The disciples were done. Any hope that they had that he would be the physical Messiah, the political Messiah, the liberator of the Romans, was done with. They were disillusioned. They were afraid. And they left. Now, even them leaving is part of God's redemptive plan. Even them leaving is part of God's plan. How? Well, first, 
He wanted them to leave out of love. Why? John 18, verses 7 through 9. Therefore, he again asked them, whom do you see? He's talking to the crowd. And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these go their way to fulfill the word which he spoke of those who you have given me. I lost not one. I lost not one. And second, they had a purpose. Jesus spent three years with these disciples. It wasn't a coincidence. He needed them to do what? What are the apostles? What do the prophets and the apostles do for the church? They lay the foundation. They would be the gospel bearers. It's funny how these same disciples, after Christ resurrects, would never ever deny Christ ever again, would be bowling to speak and get arrested and get beaten for his name. Because they knew. After his resurrection, it was solidified that he was the Son of God. And they finally understood it was a spiritual kingdom that he was talking about. And lastly, it was to fulfill the prophecy in Zechariah 13, verse 7. Awake, O word, awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man, my associate, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little one. See, now you know why this is why he, pre- he told them, keep watch and pray. Keep watch and pray. He knew the days that were going to come were going to be very difficult for his disciples. Yet they didn't do so. They were conceited. I will never deny you. They were sleepy. I'm just tired. Jesus is all he's saying. And when the moment came, they weren't prepared. Hence, they fled. So how do we apply this to our lives today? There's four applications for today's lesson that I want you to ponder on. And I hope that last week you were encouraged to pray like you've never prayed before. I really hope that I was encouraged to pray like I never prayed before. I was like, I'm going to pray because if the, Lord, if the Son of God prayed, I'm going to pray. And I, could, I was praying as much as I could. And I hope that this also does the same to you, that the Holy Spirit will convict you during this week and move your heart and, and sanctify you through what you just read in the following ways. Number one, praise God for His plan of salvation. Guys, to real, do you realize that the Son of God, the innocent God-man was arrested for you and for me to be able to have a relationship with the Father? Without Christ and His sacrifice, we're nothing. Without Christ and sacrifice and His resurrection, we're nothing. We're sinners headed straight to hell. But the Bible is clear, and the good news is that this God-man, Jesus Christ, lived the perfect life that you and me could never live. He died on the cross, and on the third day, he resurrected. And the Bible says that if you repent from your sins and put your faith only in Christ for salvation, because you can't save yourself by being good, because there's none good, not even one. We're sinners. We sin every day. The Bible says when you repent and believe that you can have eternal life. When you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, this could happen. And every time you pray... Don't, do not not ever pray thanking God for your salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation that I have through Jesus Christ. And you just start there. Because you can, it'll be 
thousands and thousands of years of praise and worship that we will thank Him in heaven for saving us. Number two, let us trust in God's character. I don't know what circumstances you are living through right now. I really don't. A lot of sickness, a lot of people in the hospital, whether you feel like you don't have friends, you feel that you want more to life than what you currently have. I don't know what you're going through. Trust in His plan and His sovereignty. What you're living right now is allowed by the Lord. Why? Because He's loving, He's perfect, and He knows all. And if you wanted to change your circumstances, He would. Trust in Him and His character. Number three, pray for God's strength to not betray Jesus in our everyday life. Let's not betray Jesus, guys. Let's preach that gospel the best we can. Let's obey our parents the best we can because God deserves it. And it's not in our strength anyways. It's in His strength. Pray that He can give you the strength and the will to do so. And lastly, love and forgive like Jesus loved. Jesus didn't held held any grudges. If you have a grudge with somebody, forgive. Love. Be intentional with each other. Don't talk behind each other's back. Don't tell gossip. Don't slander. What Brandon taught us last Sunday, don't do that. Love others more than yourself. Be a friend to those that don't have friends. Reach out to those that are alone. And I hope and pray that you can be convicted as I am to do this this week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. It's so convicting, God. It's, it's so great to learn from it and to apply it. Holy Spirit, do what only you can. Transform our hearts. Those that aren't saved tonight, Father, save them. Let them see their sin and their condition before a holy God. Allow us, Lord, to praise you daily for the salvation that we have in Christ. Allow us, Lord, to trust in your character, in your goodness, in your love, in your loving kindness, in your holiness. Allow us to pray to you for strength, to follow your commandments, to not betray you, Jesus, to preach your gospel, to obey our parents, to love others. And Lord, allow us to forgive like you forgave. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ.